Hello and welcome to this edition of the Ian Abernethy podcast. You can watch videos and listen to other podcast episodes by visiting www.ianabernethy.com. So, without further ado, here's Ian Abernethy. Hello everyone, I'm Ian Abernethy and welcome to the March 2012 uh, ianabernethy.com podcast. Uh, This month we're going to be discussing verbal de-escalation, but before we get into that, uh, I'd like to start, as we normally do, with a couple of quick news items. Uh, So the first one is that Chris Wilder will be teaching in the UK in June. Uh, Friday the 15th of June to Sunday the 17th of June, to be exact. Uh, and Chris is, you know, he's a great guy. He's one of the best applied karate and bunkai instructors there is. So no one should miss this opportunity. Um, he's just very effective. He's got a great teaching style. He's a true gentleman, a real good friend of mine too. So you you, you don't want to miss that. Um, and if you go to ianabernethy.com, click on news, and then look for Chris Wilder teaching in the UK in June. Click on that page, and you'll be able to see all the details and download the booking form and all that kind of stuff, and find out how you can book your place on that. Uh, next bit is to thank you all for my your understanding with my email situation. So last month I'd mentioned that it was just getting out of control now that I could spend all day every day answering emails and still not get them all done. Um, so I'd asked if people could please, you know, not send as many, and it was just difficult to answer personal questions and queries via email i just couldn't do it anymore uh, there's just too many of them so uh, people have been great with that they've really understood um and obviously the emails have dropped down which has freed me up to do other things in like these podcasts and stuff and we progress a few other projects as well uh, we also saw more people liking the facebook page subscribed to the twitter feed uh, playing an active part on the forum so that which is great because then we obviously we communicate in a way that lots of people can benefit from it and it's more open and it's more communal so i think it's far more effective than email and obviously again it frees me up to to do the other things that i want to do and that hopefully will benefit most people so uh, thank you for um, uh, reducing the number of emails I'm receiving that's been great I really appreciate that Uh, last month as well I mentioned the new organization that myself and Peter Considine are working on that will obviously hopefully provide a home internationally we're going to be an international uh, association for pragmatically minded traditionalists uh, like ourselves I'm really excited about that. It's it's just what I think we need, and um, we're well on with it. It's just a few little things to kind of finish off, and then it'll be going live. So as soon as it does, I'll obviously let you know via the usual channels, and then you can have a look and see if it's for you. But um, I think it'll be just what we need. There's a strong community now of tr- pragmatic traditionalists, and, and we need an organisation that. Uh, fits that and can unite people from all over the the, the globe and uh, so we can help each other develop and help uh, promote all the good ideas that we all have and uh, help drive the arts in the direction that we want to take them so that'll be coming soon and I'm I'm sure that uh, you'll all be very interested in that and so say as soon as it's ready to go live I'll let you know via the website the newsletters the twitter feed all podcasts the usual outlets Um, Okay, so I think that's all the main bits of news. Uh, So this month we're discussing verbal de-escalation, which is a massive topic. And I must admit it was quite difficult to decide what I wanted to cover and what I didn't want to cover in the podcast um, in order to keep it down to a a manageable length, really. But I I think I've done a reasonable job. I'm quite happy with it. So I hope that uh, you find it interesting. And for those new to the subject, it'll give you some uh, foot in the door, if you like, give you something to get you started. 
Um, yeah, so anyway, I think that's enough. I'll just kind of hand over to myself and uh, I'll stop the introduction and we'll uh, we'll move into the main part of this month's podcast, which discusses uh, verbal de-escalation. In this podcast, we'll be looking at verbal de-escalation. Now, what I mean by that is what we can do to calm people down, avoid unnecessary physical conflict, and to talk our way out. I mean, this is a huge subject, and to try to cover all aspects of the topic in one podcast would be like trying to cover everything there is to know about punching in one 30-minute training session. Nevertheless, I hope to cover some of the core ideas and hopefully encourage you to seek out more information on this, uh, well, I think it's a fascinating and an important topic. Um, So, those listening to this podcast will train for a whole host of reasons. Uh, People train for enjoyment, uh, physical and mental challenge, sport, uh, personal achievement, self-development, to enjoy a common pursuit with other people, uh, to explore martial culture, uh, self-defence and many other reasons besides. And now why all of these aspects of the martial arts, uh, using the term martial arts in its everyday sense, uh, are worthwhile and they're all perfectly valid reasons to train. However, as we've discussed in previous podcasts, we can have a problem when people are mistaking the requirements of one aspect with the requirements of another. Now, perhaps the most common example of this is people training for art or self-development or sport and believing that, uh, by default, such training will prepare them for uh, for self-defence. Um, Well, as well as failing to appreciate the many differences between physical dueling and the physical side of self-defence, those that hold to such a view fail to grasp that true self-defence requires many skills that fall outside the realms of physical conflict. If the student is not given training in these skills, then they are not adequately prepared for uh, for true self-defence. We need to know about things like home and mobile security. We need to know about the law. We need to be well-versed in the nature and types of crimes we are statistically most likely to face. Uh, We need training in threat awareness, threat assessment and threat avoidance. And we also need the verbal skills to defuse and de-escalate situations should it be possible to do so. Uh, Believing that physical technique is all that is needed is naive in the extreme. Training solely for the physical and totally ignoring the more important non-physical aspects of self-defense also gives us the massive problem that all we have is a physical solution. We therefore could find ourselves in situations that we should never have been in. Uh, We'll find ourselves unable to avoid situations that could have been avoided. And we run the risk of physical harm and, and legal problems too if there was a way to avoid the situation becoming physical. If we truly wish to adequately address the needs of self-protection, then we need to include a lot more in our study than the teaching and practice of physical technique. So in this podcast, we'll be discussing the basics of verbal de-escalation, and it's my hope that this podcast encourages those new to the subject to explore it in greater depth. Now, it's also, I mean, before we go any further, it's not enough to simply give the topic uh, lip service, uh, as many do, with throwaway lines such as, you know, I'll talk your way out if you can. Now, That's a bit like saying, you know, punch hard and then expecting students to be able to punch well despite never having been taught punching or having ever practiced it. So there's much to the subject of verbal de-escalating situations and we'll now move on to cover some of those key points. Uh, The first thing we need to be clear on is that not all situations can be de-escalated. Sometimes there'll be no verbal preamble. The situation will just happen, you know. Um, other times, um, the person will be in such an emotional state as to be beyond reasoning, uh, or they'll make the decision that they will not be reasoned with. 
if someone is fully committed to harming you, robbing you, assaulting you, or whatever, then you're not going to be able to talk them out of it. Uh, you're not going to be able to talk the career criminal into having an attack of conscience. Uh, nor are you going to convince the drug addict that they don't need your uh, your money or your possessions to feed their habit. Also, if the person is under the influence of drink or drugs, at the time it will make reasoning with them difficult, if not impossible. We therefore can't talk our way out of all situations. I think, you know, Peter Constant expressed it very well once when he said, uh, we can't reason with the unreasonable. Now, about a year or so ago, there was a, a feature on uh, the 24-hour BBC News channel uh, over here in the UK uh, that was showing the training of security personnel, you know, door staff and things, and the legal uh, requirements, government requirements that they have. Anyway, one of the clips, it showed uh, the trainer asking someone playing the role of attacker uh, to calm down. So, you know, he's, calm down, calm down. And this is why the, uh, the guy playing the role of the attacker is throwing punches at the trainer. Now, if a person's already throwing punches, I would suggest that they're beyond the point of trying to reason, um, and we're firmly in the realms of them being unreasonable. You know, it wouldn't be appropriate to talk to somebody when they're throwing punches at you. It was a really kind of bad demonstration. So what we're mainly talking about is those situations where a person is getting angry, frustrated, agitated, and hence physical violence is possible but not inevitable. Now, of course, you know, I mean, <laughs> this is taught in theory here, because you won't know ahead of time whether a situation can be de-escalated or not. Uh, the key, therefore, is always to be aware and ready for it to get physical as it becomes clear that's where the situation is headed. Uh, if the person is getting increasingly hostile and they're trying to close distance, then we should conclude that de-escalation has failed. Uh, they are not prepared to be reasoned with, or they're not able to reason with them, and then the correct action at that point would to be to preemptively strike and then escape. Um, there are other times as well where talking is not appropriate, and we'll come to those later. So there are times when verbal uh, de-escalation is neither possible nor appropriate. However, um, assuming it is possible to reason with a person, there are methods we can use to help calm them down should they start to get aggressive and pre prevent people from getting uh, overly agitated in the first place. Uh, one simple but effective way to help defuse potentially violent situations is to employ the LEAPS model. L-E-A-P-S. So LEAPS is an acronym to remind us of the key points of a communication style that can help stop people getting aggressive and calm them down, uh, providing they're not so emotional as to already have reached the state of being unreasonable, of course. So let's say we'll go through each of the letters. So the, the L stands for listen. Um, if a person feels they are being listened to, it can help remove any sense of frustration. Uh, the fact that you're silent and actively listening also gives the person a chance to verbally uh, vent any frustrations they may have. Uh, letting a person get it all out can be uh, very effective if done right. Uh, listening also gives you the chance to understand why the person is agitated, and hence what would be the best things to say and do to help reduce that agitation. Uh, silently listening can also help, or maybe some would say delude, anyway, but it'll help the person, uh, it'll help them make them feel that they're in control. And this can prevent them feeling the need to physically make it clear that they're in control, you know. So the silent listening is, of course, your way of keeping control of the situation. Uh, but there is no harm in making the other person feel they are in charge from both the perspectives of trying to calm the situation down or, you know, from the position of tactically intervening with a preemptive strike should it become necessary. It's okay for the other guy to feel they're in charge, you know. So remember that verbal de-escalation is just as much about listening and staying silent at appropriate times as well as what you actually say. So the E stands for empathise. 
uh, make it clear to the other person that you understand their position and, and by doing so you give their position validity again that helps remove the frustration and um, will hopefully help calm them down a little bit so even if you think the person's wrong remember the, your ego should not lead you into unnecessary conflict uh, now simply saying something along the lines of you know I, look, I understand where you're coming from in, in your situation I would feel exactly the same way I mean, that can help a person feel that there's common ground between you and that there's no need for them uh, to get more and more forceful as they try to get their point across. You know, uh, I'm so sorry I wasn't looking where I was walking. I understand. I'd be, I'd be unhappy too if someone spilt my drink by being careless. You know, please, let me put that right and I'll buy you another. I mean, that'll be far more effective than, you know, like, sorry, mate. You know? Empathise. Make it clear you understand where they're coming from. So the A stands for ask. By asking the right questions, you can get a better understanding of what stimulated the aggression. Uh, and again, by asking, you get the pe person talking. You encourage that person to get it all out verbally. You buy time, and you make it clear that you wish to understand the other person's viewpoint. They're less likely to escalate to physical violence if they feel there's no need to do so. Frustration is often a trigger for violence. Uh, when asking questions, it's generally better to keep the question open-ended. And what I mean by that is ones that can't be answered with a simple yes or a simple no. Because this encourages the other person to keep talking and keeps their mind focused on talking. Which is obviously better than them starting to think about getting physical. Asking, uh, will you explain the problem so I can understand, is not really that good because it can be answered with an aggressive no. No, I won't explain. It's, it's better to ask something like, um, what's your key concern as I want to be sure I fully understand. Um, it's also a good idea to avoid loaded or accusatory questions. Now, it should be obvious that asking things like, well, what's your problem? Or can you please calm down? Um, and that, they're not going to have the effect that we want, you know? Uh, so the P is for paraphrase. If you can state the person's concerns back to them in an alternative way, it shows that you understand. Simply repeating word for word can be seen as mocking or not really getting what they're saying. So let's, you know, the person's agitated. If they would say something like, you know, I'm effing angry because you should watch where you're effing driving. You nearly crashed into me. Then if you st state something like, you know, uh, I'm sorry and I can understand why you're upset at my carelessness. I mean, that shows you understand and it's far more likely to de-escalate than simply repeating back to them. You know, I understand you're upset because I wasn't watching where I was effing driving. You know, so just, you know, take what they've said and then paraphrase it, re repeat it back to them. Show that you, that you understand uh, why they're agitated. Um, again, it avoids that frustration and will hopefully de-escalate things. So the final S is for summarise. So when a person's got it all out, it can be really useful to summarise the position and concerns of the other person so that they know they've been understood. The summary also marks the end of the conversation and makes it clear that nothing further is needed. You know, so summarise when we're done. So, so to recap, LEAPS, L-E-A-P-S. Listen, empathise, ask, paraphrase, and when you feel the time is right, summarise. Another simple but effective part of verbal de-escalation is avoiding you statements as much as possible and sticking to I statements. Uh, I statements show that you're taking responsibility, or, or at least they'll give the impression that you are, and are more likely to help people calm down and promote cooperation. You statements, however, can come across as being argumentative, judgmental, and maybe even accusatory. Um, uh, saying something like, you know, I'm sorry but I'm having trouble understanding, is more effective than saying you are not making yourself clear. So on, you know, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble understanding is the onus is on you. You're making an I statement saying you are not making yourself clear is obviously accusatory and is putting the blame, if you like, on the other person. So try to use I statements rather than you statements. And also remember, it's not about being right. It's about calming things down and avoiding things getting physical. 
It's time to put your ego to one side and say what needs to be said to de-escalate, not saying what needs to be said to win the argument. Now, remember, violence is often triggered by uh, the small things. Uh, when we're dealing with volatile or agitated people, violent people, we need to avoid making the other person feel weak, small, trapped, frustrated, pressured, afraid, and so on. Uh, say what needs to be said to calm the person down and know that you're not losing face, but being smart enough and skilled enough to prevent things getting physical. Good self-protection. So I mean, tone of voice is also an important uh, consideration. So where, where I'm from, obviously I'm British, so in British culture, raising your voice can be seen as a sign of losing your temper or trying to dominate the other person, not letting them have their say. Uh, so keeping an even tone is therefore very important if we wish to calm a situation down. What's worth pointing out, of course, is things are different in different parts of the world. So in southern Europe, raising your voice would not automatically be associated with aggression. Uh, it's important to be aware of the cultural norms and work within them. Uh, this is especially important for those who travel a lot, as judging things by the standards of another culture, or a subculture can that, for that matter, can cause problems. Uh, both we and the person we're trying to calm down are likely to judge what is said and how it is said and all other aspects of non-verbal communication by the standards of their own culture or subculture. Uh, we therefore need to be aware of this in order to avoid uh, confusion. So I mean, that's a massive topic in itself. But to give a simple example, uh, the distance at which people talk to one another uh, varies throughout the world. So in the UK and most of Northern Europe, conversations typically take place outside arm's length. That would be conversations distance. Now, if, if a person was to move inside that distance, um, it could be taking as them trying to invade personal space and hence a threat. And that would be quite a legitimate um, position to take. However, in other parts of the world, so, you know, southern Europe and the Middle East, etc., it would be the norm to be uh, closer when talking. And hence, uh, an overly negative reaction to a person being a little closer when talking could unnecessarily uh, inflame things. So generally speaking as well, people are more trusting of those who speak and act like themselves. Now this could make you think that mirroring the person you were trying to de-escalate could be the way to go. Um, however, acting the part, trying to mimic another culture, or subculture again, is unlikely to work um, with a person from that, that subculture or from that part of the world or you know that culture generally. Um, and it can be taken as mocking, belittling or being false and it's unlikely to help. Uh, looking for common ground can be helpful though as can trying to develop empathy by using the LEAPS communication model we discussed earlier. Uh, one other model that's very relevant is a thing called Batari's box. And basically the box is made up of four parts and essentially it can be summed up as this. It's, um, so my attitude affects my behaviour, affects your attitude, affects your behaviour. And your behaviour affects my attitude and so on in a cycle. So my attitude affects my behaviour, affects your attitude, affects your behaviour, affects my attitude and so on. So let's take an example of that. You know, so person A is in a bad mood. So that's their attitude. And hence they overreact, uh, their behaviour, to person B accidentally bumping into them. The behaviour of person A affects the attitude of person B towards them. So if person B were to take an aggressive attitude, they are likely to respond with aggressive behaviour. The aggressive behaviour of person B affects the, person, uh, the attitude of person A, who, now convinced that the accidental bumping was an act of aggression, responds in kind. Before we know we are, we have a situation that escalates out of control and physical conflict ensues. The trick, therefore, is not to let the cycle run away with itself in a negative way and to break the cycle if it looks like it's heading that way. 
Also, and this is very important, know that controlling your own attitude and behaviour can have a big effect on the attitude and behaviour of the other person. Don't fuel the situation, but seek to remove the fuel. So to take the example I've just given, if person B had immediately apologised in a warm and sincere fashion, that would have affected person A's attitudes towards person B, and hence conflict could have been avoided as a different cycle could have ensued. So essentially, your behaviour will affect the other person's behaviour, so be sure to do what you can to uh, avoid unintentionally promoting aggression. So, so far in this podcast, we've looked at some of the basics surrounding verbal de-escalation. And I now want to quickly touch on a few key points uh, of the verbal side of self-protection generally. So I'm not going to go into massive detail here, but I feel it's important that I mention these things in order to put what we have discussed so far into some kind of context. So firstly, be aware that sometimes the criminal wants to talk to you so they can engage you, detain you or distract you. Uh, get good awareness training and trust your instincts about people and situations. Don't talk to people you shouldn't be talking to. Just keep on walking. It's not impolite to do that, you know. So uh, There are times not to be verbal. Uh, secondly, don't try to talk your way out of a situation where you should be fighting your way out or fleeing. Remember that you can't reason with the unreasonable and you can't talk your way out of all situations. Uh, thirdly, be aware that it could go physical at any moment and that the professional criminals will be experienced at lulling potential victims into a false sense of security. Now, and this is important, just because it looks like a situation is de-escalating does not mean that it is. The criminal could be playing along in order to get you to drop your mental guard. Uh, the old samurai saying of, when the battle is over, tighten your helmet strap, you know, it applies here. Keep your awareness up and be ready to go physical at any moment, even if it appears that things are being uh, de-escalated. It could be a ploy. Finally, don't try to de-escalate when the situation has progressed beyond that point. At that point, you should preempt and flee. All right? um, and you'll know when it's going beyond that point, um, beyond the verbal, by what the person does, not so much by what they say. The person who's walking away, issuing threats, is going to be much less of an immediate danger than the guy who appears to have calmed down but who is not backing off. Now, if that person's staying there, you're still making you feel uneasy, but they appear to have calmed down, if that person should try to close space, then it would be a good idea to stun and run. Um, trust your instincts and, and be aware that, you know, that they may be just trying to get close to you by mentally trying to get you to switch your guard off using their verbal skills to kind of get you to drop your mental guard. And career criminals are good at this stuff. They're well-practiced at it. Um, so I think we've kind of touched on the main points I wanted to address in this podcast. Uh, um, but before we start to wrap things up, I'd just like to draw attention to what should be the obvious fact that all skills need to be practiced if they're going to be usable. Just as the physical side of what we do needs to be honed and refined through training and practice, the non-physical skills, such as verbal de-escalation, also need to be practiced. Those interested in teaching and practicing realistic self-protection should ensure they uh, engage in realistic role play where things may or may not get physical, and that we include that in, in what we do. So, see, even those that do role play you know you see in many of the martial arts schools and self-protection training the mistake is made where all scenarios end up being physical you know so there may be some verbal preamble beforehand but they always end with it getting physical now this reinforces the notion that physical technique is always the ultimate solution in all situations and that's obviously not the case 
Our training needs to include verbal de-escalation as the useful and effective method it can, it can be. So if we can avoid the physical through verbal de-escalation, then obviously we should do so. However, if we don't have that skill set, then we will needlessly put ourselves at risk as situations that could have been avoided will escalate to the physical, because we don't have the skills to stop it from doing so. Uh, there are times to walk, times to talk, times to fight, and times to flee. You know, also, don't mix them up or believe that one solution is right for all situations. As I said at the start of this podcast, verbal de-escalation is a huge subject, and it's impossible to do it justice in a podcast like this. Uh, there's much left untouched upon, and but I nevertheless hope that you know you found this podcast interesting, and this encouraged uh, those that are new to the subject to seek out further information on it. You know, there's lots of really good stuff out there, and some very knowledgeable people on this subject. You know, find out what they've got, learn that as well as learn how to punch harder. You know, it's important. Um, those interested in teaching and practicing true self-protection should be seeking out that information and not limiting themselves to the purely physical or believing that martial arts or fighting are, the, are one and the same as self-protection. You can be a skilled martial artist and a good fighter without possessing verbal skills. For self-protection, verbal de-escalation skills are vital though, and I hope you've enjoyed this brief look at some of the key issues uh, surrounding them. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we'll be back with another podcast next month where we'll s probably start looking at Funakoshi's uh, 20 precepts because they're, they're, you know, they're quite interesting and they're, they're a great way to kind of discuss all kinds of things as well. It should lead to some interesting discussions, I hope. So we'll start on that next month. Uh, just before we go, uh, I'd like to return to the very important subject of my accent, <laughs> uh, which comes up a lot. Um, people can't quite place it, you see. Uh, it doesn't sound English and, you know, when I've been in America, people have mistaken it for a Scottish accent or an Irish accent. And even in other parts of England, people can't quite place it at times. It often gets mistaken for a Geordie accent, uh, uh, obviously from, from Newcastle, from the northeast of the country, where obviously I'm the other side, I'm from the northwest. So it's a Cumbrian accent. And where that comes from, it's a, a mix of, uh, of Old English uh, a strong uh, splattering of uh, Norse, a lot of Nordic settlers here, uh, people who left kind of uh, Norway, went to Ireland and then moved across. So we have a lot of uh, Nordic uh, place names and the, the accent as well is um, influenced obviously by the Nordic tongues. Um, yeah, so anyway, a few years ago I did a competition in the podcasts, those who've been around for a while will remember, where I gave a phrase in Cumbrian, uh, how I would normally speak, because this is my posh voice, by the way. This is how I speak when I want to be understood. This is how I speak when I'm trying not to have an accent. Um, so I dropped into my normal speech, and, and uh, if anybody could understand it. And nobody did. <laughs> uh, we had a competition, and nobody got the answer right. Obviously, Cumbrians were barred from taking part, you know, but one guy got close, so he was the winner. And the phrase was, for those who can't remember, it was... Um, he smacked me mara and kept it with a kebby, so I clicked the get and scoped the mower. So he um, he smacked me mara and kept it with a kebby, so I clicked the get and scoped the mower. Which, in for those who can't remember, in modern English, or better English, some would say, quite incorrectly, but some would say, um, he uh, smacked me mara would be, he hit my friend in the kept with a kebby, uh, in the ear with a stick. So I clicked the get, so I grabbed the contemptible person, and scopped him hour and threw him over or threw him to the ground. 
And like I say, nobody got that right. Um, uh, there was one guy who got close, and obviously he was the, the winner. Um, so what I thought we'd do, because it keeps coming up, and people like that, and years later people still talk about that phrase. So we're going to have another competition, right? So here's some phrases, a lot simpler, actually, I think. And uh, if you drop me an email, uh, com in the subject put competition, uh, I'll put them all to one side, and whoever gets these right or whoever gets closest, then obviously you can have your choice of some free v DVDs or free book or, or or whatever, you know. So I'll treat you for being so uh, intelligent and for so interested in my culture. <laughs> so obviously any Cumbrian's not allowed to take part, eh? But for the, the rest of you, uh, you know, a bit of fun, a bit of daftness. So the first phrase is, you know, what what does this mean? What would this so as a bad fettle? So if someone in Cumbria was to say to you, as a bad fettle, what are they telling you? Uh, the next phrase is, as gan yam. So if someone said, as gan yam, what is that person telling you? Um, the next one, if something was asked about fias, what does that mean? If something's asked about fias. And if somebody said, uh, as bin down beck, so as bin down beck, what are they telling you there? And uh, the final thing, uh, one of the influences on Cumbrian uh, was an old Celtic language called Cumbric, which is obviously long since dead, and it didn't have a big influence on modern Cumbrian. You'd think it would with Cumbrian and Cumbric, but all that really remains of it is the ways of counting. So I want you to tell me what one to five is in Cumbrian. So uh, I'll give you the first two. So the first one would be Yan, and the second one would be Tan. Okay, so Yan, Tan, and then what's three, four, and five? So what's one to five? In, uh, in Cumbrian. But anyway, right, so, as a bad fettle, what's that one? That's number one. Number two, as gan yam. Number three, as about fias. Number four, as bin dump beck. And number five, what is one to five? So that's pretty easy, those, really, I think. Um, I would do, though, wouldn't I? So, yeah, if you know what those are, drop me an email, mark competition, I'll pick it out. Next month's podcast, we'll mention it, and whoever gets nearest or gets the most right or whatever uh that person could have a you know some signed books and dvds or whatever we'll sort something out you know okay so thanks once again for for listening in uh stay in touch via facebook so that's facebook.com forward slash ian abernethy i-a-i-n-a-b-e-r-n-e-t-h-y uh twitter uh, at ian abernethy i love twitter it goes straight to my mobile phone uh, i'm pretty good at responding to tweets so if you want to kind of keep in touch in real time twitter's great to do that and obviously, uh, keep an eye on the website at ianabernethy.com. Forum on there is great. We've got some great people on there. So, um, And obviously, you know, I'll be back with uh, another podcast uh, very shortly. So, yeah, so thanks once again for listening in. Uh, have a great month. Uh, stay lucky, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye now. Bye-bye.